Last week on Rally Day, we started a sermon series called How to Make a Disciple. Uh, We read from what's often called the Great Commission. It is a mission statement for the church that Jesus left at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. What the church's mission is, is to make disciples. So that begs the question of all of us, how do you make a disciple? Um, well, we're going to read again from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on the three steps that Jesus gives in this scripture passage about how to make a disciple. Step one is to baptize. Step two is to teach. And step three is to remember. So today, we're going to talk about baptize. Let's listen for God's word to us this morning. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but there were some who doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, And remember, I am with you always until the end of age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Will you pray for the one who preaches? He needs it, for his sins are many. Let's pray. Holy and merciful God, may something of what I say and do, or at least something of what is seen and heard of me today, may it not be of me. May it be of you. May it be of you and your promises for us. May it be of the things that you have done for us and the things that you would have us do for you in our lives and in this, your world. In your holy name, we ask this. Amen. This morning, I want to tell you about a trick that I learned when I was nine years old. That summer, I went off to camp and I was in a cabin group with 12 other boys and we had a counselor who had grown up in the Australian outback, and his name was Geoff. That wasn't really his name. His actual name was Jeff. But instead of spelling it J-E-F-F, he spelled it G-E-O-F-F. So we all called him Geoff. We thought it was hilarious. He did not. But Geoff was a good sport about it, like almost like a character out of a novel about the Australian outback. He was both an avid sportsman and an incredibly gifted storyteller. And so what Geoff would do is he'd take us on these hikes through the woods that surrounded the camp. And as we'd wind our way through the forest, Geoff would tell us stories about the things that happened in the forest and the creatures that lived in the woods. So we'd be walking along a trail, and suddenly Geoff would turn around and go, shh. We'd all get real quiet, and he'd whisper. He'd say, can you hear that? That is the mating call of a yellow-tailed murder hawk. Sometimes their wingspan can grow to be eight, nine, ten feet long. Sometimes they are known to prey on animals as large as a deer. A little child should be no problem. We'd all get real quiet and we would hear what sounded like a normal bird. But Geoff was from the Australian outback, so who are we to question him, right? 
few minutes later, we'd be walking along, and then Geoff would kneel down on the ground, and he'd point at a line in the ground and say, see these markings? These are the tracks of a tiger-striped rattle cobra. I heard that there is one that had gotten loose in these woods. This one's probably a female, maybe eight, nine, ten feet long. These are the most venomous snakes known to man. You guys might want to stay close. So the hike went on. The creatures that Geoff would describe would become more and more terrifying. They'd become more and more absurd. And we'd all turn and whisper to each other and we'd debate whether or not Geoff was making the whole thing up. On the one hand, none of us had ever heard of a yellow-tailed murder hawk before. On the other hand, Geoff spoke with such confidence that you couldn't help but wonder if he was telling the truth. And also, he had an Australian accent. And there was this one kid whose name was Sammy. And for Sammy, the monsters in the woods started to become a little too real. Sammy was starting to get scared. He was starting to get spooked. Uh, we noticed that he was trailing behind our group. Then we noticed that he stopped walking altogether. We noticed that Sammy was getting upset. He was crying. He was breathing heavy. He said he didn't want to go any further. And all of us in the cabin, we tried to assure Sammy that Geoff's stories were entirely made up. But, but Sammy wasn't having it. He, was, he said, what, what if it isn't made up? What if there really is a tiger-striped rattle cobra somewhere in these woods hiding in the leaves ready to eat us? Sammy was inconsolable. So eventually, Geoff caught wind of the drama, and like a good counselor, he stopped, and he went to try to calm Sammy down. Now, we were sure that Geoff was going to break character, and that he was going to tell Sammy that the whole thing was an elaborate prank, that it was all made up, but instead, uh, he decided to teach Sammy, and also all of us, this trick that I want to teach to you this morning. He nailed down next to, kneeled down next to Sammy. And he said, Sammy, I want you to hold your hands together in a cup like this. And he did. Then he pulled out his water bottle and he poured some water into Sammy's hands. He said, now I want you to splash that water on your face. And so Sammy did. And with his wet face, Sammy then took a deep breath and he almost, immediately Sammy started to Calm down. He said, do you feel better? Sammy nodded that he did. So then Geoff explained that this little trick was something that he had learned as a kid while out in the Australian outback. He said, if you're out in the wilderness and you're feeling scared or confused or overwhelmed or anxious or getting tired and you take a moment and you splash water on your face, it'll do two things. It'll, number one, immediately perk you up again. And number two, at the same time, it'll calm you down. I've always remembered this trick. And this trick works. I've used this trick many times in my life, and not just out in the wilderness. Actually, never out in the wilderness. I've used it before walking into big meetings where I know there's going to be some hard decisions made. I've used it when I felt overwhelmed by the weight of grief and fear. I've used it outside of hospital rooms. This works. Uh, this trick won't make the monsters, whatever monsters you're concerned about, go away. 
It won't make whatever monsters you're concerned about any more or less real. It won't make facing them any less difficult, but it will calm you down. It'll help you focus, and it will ready you to keep going through whatever comes next. There is a name for this trick. It's called the diving reflex. It's an evolutionary mechanism. So here's the deal. You and me, we are air-breathing mammals who live on a planet that is covered with 71% water. That's not good. Because at any point, we could fall into that water, and if we weren't able to swim, we could drown. We could die. So over the eons, our bodies... From the time we are infants have developed these mechanisms that kick in as soon as our heads come into contact with water to help us stay alive. As soon as your head comes into contact with water, it slows your heart rate down so that you don't panic and so that you can preserve energy. And at the same time, the flow of blood focuses to your brain. So that helps you stay alert and helps you to think clearly about how to get out of the situation. The way, though, that this feels is as if it were relief. And this is why getting into a shower after a long day or at the beginning of a day can feel so relaxing. It's worth noting that this doesn't happen when you dip your toe in to the water or when you wade in. It only happens when water hits your head, your face, that you get this sense of calm and the sense of focus to prepare you for whatever might be coming next. It's called the diving reflex. Here's a fascinating thing about human behavior. We all have inherent habits of making ourselves show how we belong. We have ways of showing the world who we are and who our people are. So there was a bunch of guys I knew in college who lived together, and the day they graduated, they all got matching tattoos. If you go to a football game, you're going to wear your team's jersey, or at least your team's colors, so that everybody knows who you root for. Come election season, you put a sign out in your yard declaring who you intend to vote for. If I see somebody walking down the street in scrubs, my first assumption is that they are some kind of medical professional, or a doctor, or a nurse. And when I go to my daughter's school over at Dunn Elementary, and I have to check in at the front desk, they have this little place where they take your picture, and then they print out a a, a time-stamped name tag that you have to wear with your awkward little picture on it anytime you're in the building so that the teachers and the principal know and all the staff know when they see you that you belong there. We call these marks of belonging. Pretty much every community, every group, every institution has some kind of mark like this. We Christians are no different. We have a mark of belonging too. And more likely than not, you are wearing this mark right now. Look around the room and see if you can see it. Seriously, don't look at me. Look around the room and see if you can see it. At the people, to the left, to the right of you. Do you see the mark? Not everybody in this room is wearing the mark right now, but most of us are. If you're like me, you got this mark when you were a baby. Too young to remember it. You might have received it when you were a little bit older. When you were a teenager or when you were an adult. Here's how the mark works. There's more than one way to do it, but in general, what happens is somebody, a a priest, pastor, 
an elder, somebody, splashes or pours water or even dunks your head underwater in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is how we mark that a person belongs to God and therefore belongs here. And this mark is different from every other mark that you will ever be marked in in life in that it is given to a person with no qualifications whatsoever at all. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you do for a living or how much money you make. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how unsuccessful you are. It doesn't matter how honest you are. It doesn't matter how faithful to God you are. It doesn't even matter if you're unsure that there's a God for you to belong to because in Christ, God has already said you belong to God if you want to. And so the very first things that happens in the making of a disciple is that we declare that there is a validity to a human being's life from the very beginning. And this validity is not earned. It is not deserved. It is just given. And at the same time, this validity cannot be lost. It cannot be taken away. When we talk about the grace of God, we mean something like this. The value of your life is not dependent on how well you go about living it. It is not you belong to God if you get it right. It is not you belong if you pass the test. It is not you belong if you wear the uniform. It's not you belong if you make enough money to pay the dues. It is not you belong if you make the cut. It is not you belong if you are a good person. It's not you belong if you hold the correct beliefs. It's not even you belong until you fail and disappoint everyone, including God. It is just you belong to God. Always. 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 And so, with this kind of belonging, when it comes to life, you and I have nothing to fear. You and I have nothing to prove. You and I have nothing to gain from life. You and I have nothing to lose in life. That's incredible. That is good news if you can believe it, but it's hard to believe it, isn't it? Because it doesn't always feel that way. Why doesn't it always feel that way? Well, because we live in a forest that is full of monsters. And I'm not talking about the imaginary kind. I'm talking about real monsters. You know the ones. You've seen them lurking in your life. The kind that sneak up on you with that concerned look on your doctor's face. Well, you know something's just not right. That phone call you get at an odd hour of night from a number that never would be calling you so late. The news of another tragedy, another shooting on the news. The monsters are not stories that we make up in our heads. They're real. 
So maybe it makes perfect sense that we Christians would mark each other at the beginning of our journey in this life by inducing the diving reflex, by splashing water over each other's faces in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when the water of baptism hits your face, you can't help but feel a slight sense of relief. It both calms you down and focuses you to prepare for whatever is about to come next in life. And in the same way, when you can trust and define yourself by that unconditional validity, that unconditional grace and mercy of God, you will find that when that grace hits your face you will not be able to help but feel that sense of relief that will both calm you down and focus you to prepare for whatever comes next and it won't make the very real monsters you are concerned with go away. It will not make the very real monsters we are concerned with any less real. Nor will it even make facing those very real monsters any less difficult. But if you can remember this mark of belonging, you will be ready. Oh, one more thing about this mark of belonging. I asked you to look around, see if anybody was wearing it. The, the one thing that makes this mark of belonging different from every other kind of mark of belonging is unlike tattoos or team colors or yard signs or clothing or a name badge, uh, baptism is different in that you cannot see it. You can't look around this room and tell who has or has not been baptized. Even though you wear it, if you pass a person on the street, they, they would not be able to see that mark of belonging on your body right now. That is, unless it shows up in the way you live it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen.